Praise God. Welcome to Warden this morning. Amen? <clears throat> Amen. It's good to be in church. I'm just thinking as my wife is praying, <clears throat> and I believe that things can be laid down at this altar. Amen? But I, as I'm standing there and we're, si- we're singing and we're just, just taking in what the Spirit is wanting to say, I'm just feeling like it. I felt like I had to ask you this morning is, can you? Can you leave it at all? Do you love it more than you love him? Whatever it is. And I don't know if that's something specific for one of you this morning. And Maybe you're here today and there's somebody specific and you're thinking that you have something that's just holding you. And it's got a grip on you. And I feel the Spirit is asking you today is, can you leave it? Are you willing? Do you understand what it means to accept the deliverance of the King of Kings? And so if you're here today and you feel that question deep in your heart, then I want you to take this next little while I'm preaching, just speak to God and say, God, give me the confidence. Give me the willingness. Give me the desire, the fortitude to lay this down, to truly give it to you. Because sometimes we, we get mad at God and we say, you know, God, I've given this to you already. I keep giving it to you, but we don't give it to him. We say the words We give him lip service, but we don't do it. We don't ask for the help, for the accountability from the friend that we need it. We don't ask for, 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 you know, him to take it completely out of our life. We don't take the things out of our life that lead us back down those paths. How many people know that if you keep your mental GPS pointed to that direction, you're going to go back to that GPS and find your way back to whatever it is that's holding you back? We like to do that. Our heart and our mind tells us to go back to the things that we're used to. And even our brain is wired chemically and stuff, you know, with things that that make us want to go back. Everything I I learned in biology just tells me that Jesus is real. And tells me that I need Jesus. Our very biology is wired that the things that we get addicted to causes release of chemicals in your brain that makes you want to go back to those addictions. We need Jesus. And so I haven't started preaching yet, just in case you're wondering. (laughs) But this is resting in my heart this morning. And I'm telling you that you've got to want to give it up. You've got to want to lay it down. You've got to understand your deep and utter need for His deliverance. And that he is the God who changes circumstances. I just believe that. Man, I believe for that transformational power. In our life, in our church services, in our, in our everyday life, when you pray for your kids at home, you pray for family at home, I believe the biggest miracles I've seen in my life have been in people's homes. I've seen people heal and walk and dance in their homes. I'm so grateful for that believe that so so much question I have I want you to think about it and the and I'm going to give you a chance to answer it leaders can you lay it down can you lay it down will you lay it down consequently my sermon this morning is entitled choices <laughs> Nelson Mandela said it very pointedly and some of the most brilliant words that ever came out of the mouth of people came out in one line And Nelson Mandela one time says, may your choices reflect your hopes, not your fears. Man, that if if there's ever a statement that can keep you on the right path, right? Eleanor Roosevelt once said, one's philosophy is not best expressed in words. It is expressed in the choices one makes. In the long run, we shape our lives and we shape ourselves. The process never ends until we die. And the choices we make are ultimately our responsibility. And then Jean-Paul Sartre, said, we are our choices. And that one's probably got me thinking more than anything. Choices arise every day that can negatively or positively affect us. Uh, If you were to think right now about the choices, even unconscious choices we make from day to day, it's a lot to take in. You know, the things that we do without thinking. I don't know if you guys really choose to take every breath you take. You just do it, right? Sometimes we get up in the morning and, and 
I'm not even going to lie. I get, I get up early in the morning, and sometimes I, I go downstairs, and I'm sitting down in my chair with my coffee, and I'm getting ready to read and to get into God's Word before I start my day. And I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> that sounds terrible, but, but you just, we just do things unconsciously, especially when we're happy. You know, there's things we do in a regular day that, you know, these choices that we make that sometimes are unconscious. You're, you're wondering how in the world we get there. But there's a lot of other unconscious choices we have, like someone else will take care of it. Our kids believe that about our parents. Just If they knew the choices we made on behalf of them in a run of a day, they'd be overwhelmed, I think. And there's other choices we say we don't make because we say it's not our responsibility, I wish it wasn't, or we say I wish it wasn't my responsibility. And it is remarkable how many of those choices become opportunities to either move closer to God or to move farther away from Him, if you think about it. We face choices daily to either take a stand, to compromise what we believe, or to simply just to stay quiet. And consequently, sometimes taking a stand means being quiet. But staying quiet in the face of injustice can also be compromise. And we know that this world is full of injustice, right? You've been watching the news the last few days. There's war raging in the Middle East. People are dying. We need to pray. We need to pray for peace. Amen? Pray for Israel and for the peace of Israel. We need to pray that God would intervene and just so many lives. It's so tragic. It is important to remember that believers all around the world regularly have to make choices for Jesus that put their lives in peril. We're so detached from it here in this world this Western world, but there's still people that are dying every day for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. Daily decisions we make can result in small course corrections resulting in long-term effects, whether negative or positive. And sometimes if we do a lot of small course corrections in, in, uh, in one direction, we experience something called delayed gratification. And I'm going to tell you it's a wonderful thing. It sticks around, that kind of gratification. In Daniel 3... We find an account of the three Hebrew boys. I'm going to take you to Sunday school a little bit this morning. Who here has ever heard the name Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? How many have heard many variations of people making jokes about those three names? <laughs> the one I used to always remember growing up was shake the bed, make the bed, and the bed we go. I don't know, I, I don't know why people do this, but, but their names, I'm just, anyway. The three Hebrew boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their Hebrew names are actually Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I don't know if you know that. Daniel is his Hebrew name, and he actually had a, had a name given to him by the Babylonians as well, as well Belteshazzar. They understood, that, they understood that small course corrections can lead to large consequences. These three, along with Daniel, had been promoted to places of high favor during the rule of King Nebuchadnezzar. After Daniel had interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and that's, boy, that's a whole account. That's another whole sermon, but it is crazy how crazy Nebuchadnezzar is, was. I mean, he was going to kill all of the wise men in all of his kingdom because they couldn't not only interpret the dream, but they, he couldn't tell him what he had dreamed. So he said... He wanted them to look at him. He had a dream that troubled him, and they wanted him to come into his courts and say, tell him not only, first of all, what he dreamed, but also what it meant. And they were like, who could do this? But it's the lunacy that was, that, that was Nebuchadnezzar, the, the narcissism that was Nebuchadnezzar, the, the megalomaniac that was him. And he, he said, if you can't do it, and, and his idea of that was, if you cannot do it, I'm going to kill all y'all. I think if he killed all the wise people in his land, he probably is lessening his chances of understanding what his dream meant, maybe? Kind of drastic. But Daniel was able, when he was asked, you know, they came out and they were, uh, this, uh, this guy was going out and he was going to kill all the wise people and they came up to Daniel and Daniel said, can I, can I have a bit, can a, bit of, a bit of time with this? And so instead of taking the time to pack his things and flee and get out of crazy man's land, he, he 
went back to his home and he prayed. And he asked for wisdom. And this wisdom granted him favor because God not only told him the dream, he told him what it meant. And Nebuchadnezzar couldn't help but acknowledge God. And through this, you know, Daniel was promoted to, to you know, basically next in line next to the king, in the king's courts. And, and um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego became administrators over all of Babylon. They were basically running everything. We have big deal Dan, and then you got his three guys who were running everything with him. Hebrew people in a Babylonian context, running everything other than only people higher than them were the king. God could do pretty amazing things. Essentially, they were Daniel's eyes and ears among all the people. And this is the context we find ourselves in chapter 3. And I just want to read this account. And you can close your eyes and pretend you're in Sunday school and go back through this. Or you can just picture me up here with the, the felt board and the little dudes. putting. The, anybody been in Sunday school with the felt people? No? You didn't take them home and stick them on your couch after? Just me? So you can imagine you're doing that. Daniel 3, 1 to 12, King Nebuchadnezzar, in verse 1, made an image of gold, 60 cubits high. That's 90 feet of gold, people. That is big. That's massive. 90 feet of gold, 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. And let it and set it upon, up on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. First of all, when you read all that, you just need to know that all the important people are there. Everybody that matters about anything has to come here and acknowledge this statue. This, like, everybody who's important has got to be there. And then he says again, so the, sat so the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the de dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, Lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music. I don't know why they didn't just say the band. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does, all does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the blazing furnace. Now, I'm not going to get into a whole lot of time but this blazing furnace, but this blazing furnace was the size of, when I researched this, some time back was the size of a house. It had probably had multiple levels and way for the king to look in and see the instrument of his torture and see the results of it. Again, just lets you inside King Nebuchadnezzar's crazy mind. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. <laughs> at this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews, interesting enough, the same people that Daniel had just saved their lives. They come and said, you know, these guys are, are come to be a tattletale, basically. I don't know how many times it drives me nuts when my kids tattle on the other one. You know, they may be completely right, but I'm like, I'm not doing anything about it. Don't be a tattletale. Who likes a tattletale? They came to tattle. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're naming names too. Lousy tattletale. Who pay attention, pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. Father, I pray that you would take this word, Lord, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, apply it to our hearts today, that you would be the primary communicator and that I would just be a vessel. Lord, open our hearts to receive from you. Challenge us by your word today, Lord Jesus. We believe in the power of God to transform our lives. So Father, just open this word to us today. Give me clarity of speech and thought as I present your word, Lord. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
So this report was not received well by Nebuchadnezzar, as you can imagine. I mean, somebody couldn't tell him a dream that he had dreamed the night before. I mean, without any clue, and he was about to kill all the wise people. So, I mean, he had a short fuse. I'm just saying. He was upset. Some believe that this was a statue of the king himself, and the megalomaniac that he was, and the narcissist he was, I wouldn't be surprised if it was, but it's probably not 100% the case. Uh, regardless of who the image was, is probably one of the Babylonian gods, either Nebo or Nebu, one of those, uh, Nebu, pardon me. This was primarily less about the image itself and more about the political allegiance of the king. And to understand the context here, we need to understand that fully. Of course, it would have been a direct violation of the law of Moses if they would have bowed down, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that is. Uh, because they were administrators. They were high officials. He named all the people, the prefects and the magistrates, everybody that was there, everybody that was important, anybody that mattered in Babylon had to be there. And of course, you know, like there's Daniel and then there's the three administrators. I mean, these are some of the most important people in his whole court. And they didn't kneel down. Nebuchadnezzar was personally offended. He was embarrassed, not for the supposed deity that the statue portrayed, but because he took it as a sign of defiance against himself and his rule. The three young men served him well, but this was a public affront to him as king and political ruler of the state. Javrai, Meshach, and Abednego would have been fully aware of this, but could not bow down publicly or privately to any idol. Can you think about this for a second? Think about the weight. There's things that pull us in directions. You know, there's uh, I was here yesterday for the celebration of the 15 years of CLC, and I came to their service, and they had this big word up here, momentum. And I'm thinking about myself, how, how momentum is so important. But there's different types of momentum that if you allow it to pull you down, it will. Think about what it felt for the three to stand in the hundreds and thousands of people. And they say, everybody kneel, and everybody kneels except them. Feel the momentum of the crowd pulling down on you. The pressure weighing down on you. But I promise you that the weight of the glory of God is heavier. Do you know that the word glory in the Old Testament loosely translates as weight, heaviness? You feel the presence of God? <laughs> that, that's heavier than, the, than if we focus on that. That's a heavier feeling than the power of influence of man and people around us. excuse me, they had a lot to consider while they were standing. And, I, and, I, and this is the way my mind works. I'm like, I wonder what went through their mind when they were standing there. All the micro decisions and all the thoughts that they must have had to choose and, and to process and to understand that they're, they're not just standing there. They're scared. They have to be scared. I don't know about you. I believe in God, but when faced with being burnt alive, I think I would be afraid. As they were contemplating their situation, I think many decisions had to be, you know, coursing through their mind and, and, and pass, passing through their brain in this tense moment. And I'm, and I'm going to just kind of expound on probably what I think went through their mind at those times. First, I think they had to choose between value or virtue. As mentioned earlier, the three were in places of high standing. They were highly valued by Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter 2, again, verse 48 and 49, it says, Then the king placed Daniel in a high position. This is after he, he had uh, told him what the dream was and interpreted the dream. It says, And he lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all the wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon while Daniel himself remained in the royal court. These young men were shot callers. <laughs> they were shot callers in the kingdom that was not their own. That is a miracle in and of itself. God had given them such great favor. And this is why the people, uh, the astrologers were so jealous. Is because they had been given favor and they were foreigners. 
How many people know that God does not look at the color of your skin to decide whether you deserve favor or not? He doesn't care what part of the planet you're from. He doesn't care where you live right now. He cares about what's going on in your heart, and it's all that we should care about. These young men were shot callers. As they waited, they had to choose to remain valued by Nebuchadnezzar in their valued position, a position that was valued by men, that was coveted by men. They had to choose to, to remain it because they knew that when they stood up and they stayed standing up instead of standing, they were likely forfeiting all of that. They had to choose between that or their virtue before God, their integrity. The best definition I've ever heard of integrity is consistency in character and conduct. They could not say they loved God and kneel because the conduct would not back up the words. As the account continues, they were malicious men, these astrologers who were jealous and these foreigners of these foreigners who had been given great political positions, these Chaldeans um, approached the king, recited his own edict, his own proclamation. He's, he reminded him, you said that if they don't kneel, then, you know, they're going to the fiery furnace. He's reminding them of what he said, which to me would have been patronizing of a king. He was reminding them that these young Jewish men were defying him, not a big statue. They were very crafty in how they did it. They brought the attention back on the king and they made it seem like there was a personal offense. They say in verse 12, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon. <laughs> I love how they say some Jews and then they just drop the names right away. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of the gold you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar, drowning in his own importance, was furious. But don't be fooled. He wasn't offended for the Babylonian gods. He was embarrassed. He had been made a fool because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's allegiance to God instead of him. He could, how could they betray him after all he had done? Isn't it so quick to forget that it was God who interpreted the dream? That it was God who told Daniel the dream. That it was Nebuchadnezzar himself who after Daniel had done this has said there's no God greater than the God of the Hebrews. And that's the stark difference here is that the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were offended for their God. But Nebuchadnezzar became personally offended and he was pushed in this direction as well for himself. You see the trap that we can find ourselves in when we do this? when we begin to be offended for ourselves instead of being offended for our God? I think if we were more offended for our God, it would change our behavior much more than if we were offended for ourselves. Change it for the good anyway. He had been made a fool of. That's all he was worried about. Have you ever had your integrity attested? Your faith challenged? Ever been in a situation where people close to you, make it feel like you have to choose between them and God? I've been there. I've been there before. It's not easy. It's not, it's not like, I, I, I would shudder to tell you that I would stand up here and say that it didn't hurt me to walk away from them. I was never not going to walk away from those relationships because God is bigger. But it hurts, man. It hurts to be singled out. It hurts to be put in that way. But God tells us that there's something to look forward to if we just trust. We make it about him instead of making it about ourselves. The second choice the three, I believe, would have had to make was that they had to remain either focused or they could just succumb to their fear. I admire the laser-like focus of the three. I imagine Daniel in later years under Darius. You know, when Darius made this edict again, twisted by the quote-unquote wise people of the land, where he, where he developed an edict that if you caught praying to anybody else besides himself and his gods, that they would be thrown into the lion's den. He's, they were creative in their punishments anyway. And Daniel wouldn't stop praying, and so he was thrown in the, in the lion's den. 
And I imagine Daniel, you know, when he was in the lion's den and, and the angel of the Lord came and shut the lion's mouth. I imagine him drawing strength from the fact that his three administrators stood in that crowd. It doesn't mention Daniel here. I don't know if he's watching from somewhere. I don't know if he's still back in the king's court taking care of something. I don't know where he is in this. But it's clear that Darius came after Nebuchadnezzar. And I wonder if Daniel was thinking in the lion's den about the courage of these three boys. They remain focused, even though those who informed the king tried to twist the narrative. Ever have someone try to flip the narrative on you? And the first reflex of anybody is to defend ourselves. When I believe that sometimes God is saying, let me defend you. Let your virtue, let your integrity in me shine through and I'll take care of this. Can we say that? Are we brave enough to say that? Their defiance had nothing to do with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar. They looked at it as a chance to get the foreigners out of the way. Certainly they did. But it had nothing to do with their loyalty. It was more, it had everything to do with their, uh, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's loyalty to God and their focus on who he was. These men made it seem like It was a personal affront to Nebuchadnezzar himself, but it wasn't about that. It was about a personal affront to the God of all creation. And they were worried more about offending their God than some man-made thing or some human. (laughs) Whether king or not, no matter how much power they had, these men made it seem like it was a personal affront to Nebuchadnezzar. It's a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who pay no attention to you. Not to the statue. Not to the patron gods. They, they made it seem like defying the king was the primary focus. And that's why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did this. They were usurpers. Even though the history of the three's relationship with Nebuchadnezzar said otherwise. Again, you go back to Daniel chapter 1, a couple chapters before, in verse 19 and 20, it says, The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. They had credibility. They were important people to the king. The three had to choose to fear an earthly king who had given them, you know, great favor here on earth, even though they understood that that favor came directly from God, or maintain their focus on the God of all creation for the deliverance, the position and wealth they had been blessed with in and of itself, was a miracle of God. They knew this. They could have rationalized the decision to kneel or not away, saying, and we do this sometimes, I'm sure we do. They could have said, God would not have put me in this high position just to take it away. Ever been there? Rationalizing things? You have moments of blessing in your life, and then all of a sudden you feel the Spirit of God and you know His voice because you spend time with Him. And he's telling you to do something that involves walking away from that blessing. And we're like, well, God wouldn't have bring my, brought me into this blessing to make me walk away from it. We don't think about the fact that he may be getting you to walk away from that blessing because he has a bigger blessing planned for you. And even if he doesn't have a bigger blessing planned for you, he's planning a place in heaven. Hallelujah. The biggest blessing is to be in the presence of God for eternity. We can easily find ourselves in situations where we try to rationalize things before God so we can keep doing things that we know we shouldn't. Oh, it doesn't hurt me that much. Oh, I don't do it all the time. Oh, I'm not addicted. I, I can go here and it, it doesn't affect me. I promise you it doesn't affect me. I can be here. I can watch this. I can do this. I can go here. I can do whatever I want. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm secure. I'm, I'm, I'm safe. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. We can rationalize crazy things. And when we rationalize, we ignore principles in Scripture where God calls us to be sanctified, to become holy like He is holy. 
to run towards him, not to see how close we can step to the line. Unfortunately for Christians, there's too many Christians that see this line right here between sin and not sin. And this is where they want to live. And they want to see how close they can to. Well, I'm still up here. I'm still on the good side. I haven't fallen into sin, but they want to see how close they can live here. And I can promise you, if I type rope across this white strip here enough times, i got a pretty good balance, but eventually I'm falling this way. God doesn't call us to see how much sin we can get away with. God calls us to greatness in his kingdom. God calls us to be more like him daily. It's a process. That's why we have this word sanctification, to be set apart, away from the line of sin. Afraid? Yeah, they were afraid. Of course, they had to be afraid. But the fear did not divert their attention from God. Their allegiance was never in doubt. They understood why they were doing it, who they were doing it for. They had to choose political value or godly virtue. They also had to choose to focus on God or to surrender to fear. They're daily decisions we deal with. Daily decisions we deal with. They also had to choose to collapse or contend. Nebuchadnezzar recognized the value of these three men to his kingdom. He understood this. He understood how important they were, how wise they were. All that didn't go away because they defied him. He was mad, but he, it, there shows some signs here that he was thinking relatively clearly still. If it was anyone else, he likely would have just thrown them right into the furnace and moved on. But for some reason, he gives them a second chance. This is not something Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, any of the kings that you read about in Daniel, this is not something any of them would have done to give them a second chance. That's why verses 15 on are, are very important. It says, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, he says, now, this time, you already defied me once, but I understand your value. I'm going to give you another chance. It's un, unheard of in this culture. Normally, his rage would have just, just, he would have went off, threw them in the furnace and moved on. He says, now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, when you hear the band, if you're ready to fall down and worship, if you're ready this time to fall down and, and worship the image I made, very good. He says, in other words, all is forgotten. Can you imagine? No one in this kingdom would ever, whether you're Babylonian or not, would ever have got this chance. Just this chance. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar feels like he's being super benevolent. He's making himself feel better about himself. What a great king I am. I'm giving these guys another chance. But if you do not worship it, he says, this time, if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Immediately. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand. Oh. I don't know about you when you read this when you were a kid. It was just like, oh, the good part's coming. You know, as if he mentions God, as if he tests God. You know, when you're a kid, you know, like, you know, the big hero is about to show up. Nebuchadnezzar is now not only questioning the allegiance of three men, he's questioning the power of the God of all creation. Nebuchadnezzar was furious, but still, he said these things in verse, he still gave them another chance. Before they had a chance to sound the instruments and and uh, for them to have another chance to bow down, they replied with amazing courage. And this is another thing. This is the first words they say. This is the first time they speak. You know, when somebody else is accusing you, can you stand back and trust that God's got your back? Or do you collapse, pardon me, into the argument? Do you jump into the argument and start to defend yourself? You know, they didn't defend themselves. They could have looked at these astrologers, these these these. these People who came, these quote-unquote wise men who came to accuse them and said, and, and they could have argued with them and argued quite well with them. They were smart. They were brilliant, in fact. But they didn't, and this is the first word they say, and they didn't speak up to defend themselves. But this part, man, this part gets me fired up. They responded to Nebuchadnezzar with these words. He says, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves. Hallelujah. Before you in this matter. 
if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve, not Daniel's not going to come to save me. My guys here, you know, we're not, it's not a matter of us doing this in solidarity, anything like that. He says, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, those words. That's when you know you get Jesus deep in your heart. Even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. And this, until this point, they don't say a word, and their first word is defend the king of kings, not themselves. I can just imagine the look of the astrologers' faces. They were probably like, oh, you did it now. Woo! These guys are done now. It's over. Like, we won. Ha ha. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I just, I just feel there's some smirks in the room, you know? You know when you look over when you see somebody who's right? My wife says I have this smirk. I don't believe her. She says that when I, when I know I'm right, when I get proven right, and I'm trying to be, like, civil a bit, apparently I have this smirk that I just can't hide, and it drives her nuts. Rightly so. But I can't control it. I feel like there were some smirks in the room. Oh, we got you now. Ha ha. We'll be back. We'll be the administrators of the land eventually. You know, we got you now. But neither them nor Nebuchadnezzar understood, understood who it was that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were standing for. Who they were contending for. Who they were willing to struggle and even die for. I wonder if we contemplate this enough as believers. Who it is, if we think enough, and I know it sounds so obvious, but do you think enough about who Jesus is, who God is, the claims we make about him demands our attention to think we said that he created everything, the universe, all that we can see and think and imagine, he created it. We say it out loud. We say that he sustains it. It says in Colossians. It also says it in John chapter 1. It says it in Hebrews that he sustains all things and he holds all things together. That alone is too lofty to understand. But yet not only that, there's billions of people in the world. And he hears your cry. He hears when you wail. He hears when you hurt. We talked about it in the prayer this morning. He hears you in the midst of all. What's going on in the world? He hears you. You. Individually. In the almost 8 billion, he hears you. He can differentiate your voice because you're his child. And he loves you. I don't know if we consider and we think and we contemplate enough about who it is that will contend for us. The creator of the universe. The one who tells me what's right and wrong. Even those who don't believe in God have this sense of right and wrong that he put there. Nebuchadnezzar had seen God's hand at work. This is another thing. Seen miraculous power of God through Daniel in not only telling him a dream that was a very specific dream about a statue you know, with the different parts, the gold, the silver, the copper, the clay, and the iron feet. It's so specific. There's no way he could have made it up. He's seen God's power work through Daniel, through the miraculous interpretation, but still he underestimated God. I love how they say God is able to deliver, but even if he does not, even if he does not, I'm not, I'm not backing down. What a powerful truth, no matter the circumstances, we can say with confidence, God is able to fill in the blank. But even if he does not, I will still contend for him. I will still serve him and no other. What would you put in that blank this morning? God is able to what? Heal? Yeah, he is. God is able to provide? Yes, he is. God is able to give you a home? And to provide provision for you, yes, he is. God keeps the sun coming up in the morning. And, and, and in, in Psalms, it says that he lets it run its course every day. He keeps everything moving and keeps everything going. God is God. What is it? What is it? You know, God is able to relieve me of my addiction. Yes, he is. 
God is able to break the heart of the stubborn mind. That person that you've been praying for, you know they know the way to Jesus. And they just want God, the Holy Spirit, is able to penetrate that heart. Believe it, God is able, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still God. When all society says, kneel, will you contend for your faith? Lastly, they remain confident and would not be coerced. We have two very different approaches here. We have Nebuchadnezzar, who was intent on coercing Shadrach, Meshach, to bending them to his will. As well, as well as the entire Babylonian kingdom, he wanted to keep them under his thumb, doing what they bid to make sure that he was known to be the most important and the most powerful and the most ruthless in all of the land. He wanted that role. And then we have three Hebrew boys who contended for God, not themselves, and appeared fearless. There's two different perspectives here. Um, the three young men who could have argued with God. Think about that. We, I, I mentioned that they could have argued with the wise people, but he, and they could have argued with Nebuchadnezzar, which probably would have sped up the process of them getting thrown in the fiery furnace, but they could have argued with God. They could have said, what have we done to be put in this position, God? How can you abandon us here to die before some madman? After all we've done, after all the time we spent serving you and being faithful to you, you know, will you be made a fool in front of this madman? They could have been frustrated with God. They could have been saying these things. Will you make a fool of us? They could have made it personal about themselves, just like Nebuchadnezzar. They could have got angry at God. And sometimes we find ourselves there, do we not? I've been in this valley a long time, God. But trust me when I say that he is contending for you. He is fighting for you. Keep your confidence in him. Don't let the world coerce you into believing a lie. Don't let the world trick you into thinking that he has abandoned you. That he is not there. That he is not present. He is there. Maintain your confidence in the King of Kings. And the Lord of Lords. But instead... Here their actions show that they were confident and that God would deliver them. He says, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your God or worship the image of gold you have set up. They had every reason to give in in the natural and kneel. They had every reason. They could have chose to be valued by men. They were in high positions, but they still chose their virtue before God. They could have chose to be manipulated by fear and succumb and, and go into self-preservation, but they chose to focus on the truth. They could have collapsed before the societal pressures that are still real today, by the way. But they chose to contend for the faith, and they could have been coerced by pride and position or be confident that God would deliver now, you all know, maybe many, many of you know, if you're hearing this story for the first time, I want you to go to, to, to Daniel 3 and read the entire thing. But as it ends, you know, they didn't bow, in case you're wondering. Nebuchadnezzar flew off the handle. He was upset. He ordered the furnace to be heated up seven times hotter than it's ever been heated up before. You know, he was so upset. He was like, I can't believe how they would abandon me and disrespect me in this way let's see if their God will save them he finds the strongest men in Babylon to bring them and to throw them into the furnace and I'm trying to imagine how this is but we, we know that Nebuchadnezzar could see inside the furnace and we know that there was a place where they would go up to the entrance and read and it says that the strong men the strongest men in Babylon were called to throw them into the furnace and it says that they themselves were consumed by the flames Think about this. And so he throw them in there and Nebuchadnezzar's probably thinking it's done and he looks in and he's like, oh, 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 hold on a second. We only threw three in here. Who's the fourth? I've read this a thousand times and every time I read it, I get stuck on that line. I only, we only put three in here, but who's the fourth? Who's the fourth? The angel of the Lord, many believe it was the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus. And he even said, 
that it looks like the son of the Lord. Like he even says there that it looks like the son of, of a God, he says. is standing in there. And let me tell you what happened in that situation. You know, you're thinking about it all. When they walked out, they were dressed in official turbans, robes, everything. It says that their, their clothes didn't even smell like smoke. Nothing was singed. But let me remind you something that, of something this morning. Something did burn in that fire. It was the bonds that held their hands together. It was the ropes. It says in there that the ropes did burn. They walked out of the fire. They did not even smell like smoke. Listen to the change in the heart of the crazy man, Nebuchadnezzar. He says, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and he still didn't get it right <laughs> like, God just came and saved these men just showed you that the best way to handle in with peace a conflict <laughs> but he's still in the attic he's like if anything anybody speaks against the God of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they were to be cut to pieces and their houses to be turned in piles of rubble he still had some work to do But listen to the difference of what he said earlier. He says, for no other God can save it this way. He said, if you don't listen to me this time, and if you don't bow down, he says, we'll see what God will come and serve you. Well, he found out, didn't he? Harry Emerson Fosdick once said, he says, he who chooses in the beginning of the road chooses the place it leads to. It is the means that determine the end. You accept Christ, there's many choices you're going to have to make after that. You're going to have a choice to run towards Him. And you're going to have a choice to compromise. You're going to have choices to maintain your value in society at the expense of your virtue. And I'm going to tell you to fight for your virtue. Fight for your God. Fight for your focus on your God. Fight for who He is. Sometimes we do that silently and sometimes we need to speak up. C.S. Lewis says this, and I just absolutely love this quote. You've probably heard it before. It says, every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you, your heart, the central part, your heart and mind, the part of you that chooses into something a little different from what it was before. Every choice. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. C.S. Lewis had a way to put it on the nose, didn't he? Lewis is so candid, but it is that simple really. Our choices matter. What are the choices we make What are they doing to the central part of who we are? Lewis's language may be too strong for you today to be thought that you're already making a choice to be a heavenly creature or a hellish one, but let me put it this way. Are are the choices you make from day to day bringing you closer to God? Are they bringing you farther away? If I am my choices, as John Paul Sartre, Suggests then I want to choose virtue over society's value system. I want to let my focus on God quell my fears. I want to contend for Him rather than bow my knee to the numerous idols of our day. We don't see big statues as much anymore. Trust me, there's idols. <laughs> and I want to remain confident face of the attempts to coerce me off this path. I want to stay the course with Jesus. Amen. And I want to come back
back to what I started with. The part, remember I told you, wasn't part of my sermon? You may be beating yourself up this morning over your choices. You may be in your heart wanting to serve God, but you cannot change your choices. You feel like it's, it's too hard. It's too much. You just struggle to give it up. And I just believe that the Spirit of God spoke to me earlier today and said that it's deliverance here today. Trust me when I say I believe that there's deliverance on the bus when you go to work. There's deliverance when you speak to in your car. There's deliverance. But I just feel he's speaking specifically today that there's something, you know, maybe could be something as simple as just you just can't give it over that there's parts of your life that you just cannot surrender and you're saying today God is saying you know what give it up give it to me let me fight for you let me contend for you let me display my power sometimes we say that we sacrifice but sacrifice requires something sacrifice requires a little bit of hurt, a little bit of angst, or or it makes us feel uncomfortable. And sometimes I think we use the word sacrificial a little too often, you know, and we say we give sacrificially, but it's it's not hurting us, really. Sometimes we give, we say we give our time, this is a sacrifice for me. Well, really, what are you giving up? A couple hours on a Saturday or a couple, you know, sometimes we use this word to, to flippantly, but maybe God's asking you to sacrifice today in, in, in some way. Sacrifice your, your allegiance to the things that are pulling you away from Him. And He's saying, today it's time to crucify those things and to accept what I've done on the cross for you completely. And maybe, just maybe today, you'll experience His freedom in a new way. Amen? experience his grace Connie preached an amazing sermon last week on faith and it's going to take some faith for you to stand up and to walk up here and to come and ask for prayer this morning but I want you to do it and not because you feel like you're taking a chance but you believe in the God you cannot see you know he's real You've heard his voice. You've felt him call you from what it is that's holding you back. But today, you're going to say, I'm going to step out in faith. And I'm going to believe that today, the things that have held me back are going to be left here in the name of Jesus. Amen? We're going to sing this old song, Faithful One. And I want to invite you to come. Prayer team, if you come and join me. If you're here today and you want prayer, you just want to be closer to God even. Just come, spend some time. Ask God to intervene and speak to your heart. Say, God, I want you to contend for me. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word today. Pray you seal it in our heart. And that we would open ourselves to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our life. Father, we love you today. Lord, this time is yours. We give it to you. Holy Spirit, work in this place today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's just worship him together.